This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers Podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Chaz Vandemotter with The Social Cycle. How's it going, Chaz? It's going great. It's going great. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy Thanks to have me. you. Where Where does your last name come from? Got to uh, ask. Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a long story. It's actually uh, Dutch, okay. uh, but I, I'm German, so it was like uh, during World War II, kind of <laughs> changed the name, and yeah, here we are. Nice. All pre my time. Okay, I was gonna ask if you <laughs> yeah. have family or relatives. Or yeah, any yeah, yeah. Back family, there? family uh, history there. Yeah. Okay. Any anyone still over there? Any connections? No, like no, not really. Not okay. anymore. So born and raised out here. Yep. I, well, I was born in St. Louis. Uh, grew up in Atlanta, okay. and then uh, I actually came out here to go to ASU oh, and nice. uh, turn into a desert rat. Go so. Devils. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, why did you pick ASU? Uh, I was a gymnast, so uh, oh. yeah, gymnastics doesn't have a whole lot of collegiate opportunities on mm-hmm. the men's side, and uh, love the program out here, um, and uh, yeah, I ended up being the captain for a few years, wow. I was an All-American on, on high bar my uh, senior year, so yeah, gymnastics is, uh, is uh, helped me in a lot of ways, one of which being to get out here to a cool state like Arizona. That's cool. Have any opportunities besides like being the Phoenix Suns gorilla for uh, gymnastics <laughs> post graduation? You know that's a it's a good question. There's a, they they did an E60 on our team actually because there was about 17 guys that have come through our program and been a NBA mascot actually. Oh really? And uh, yeah, I've, I've I've tried to dunk the basketball off the trampoline a few times and I'm all right, but uh, not really. You know, it's uh, it's tough. Gymnastics is. Uh, yeah, underfunded sport, and, and on the men's side especially, there's 17 schools left that even have gymnastics for collegiate. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I was blessed to be able to be a part of an ASU team that uh, uh, that's just amazing, and can't say enough good things about that. For sure. Yeah. Did you have any <clears throat> plans or goals to, to do anything with gymnastics past college, or was it just kind of a, a hobby of yours? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I was always in athletics, and I think that that's a, a, a huge aspect of being an entrepreneur is yeah. uh, having to face adversity, go through challenges in sports. And uh, so uh, I, I played all, every sport under the sun growing up, and gymnastics was always just that sport that was really hard and scary and everybody looked at it as something that was like not really they wanted to go into because it's just it's difficult and um you know I've kind of turned my mantra into just chasing difficulty in anything and so gymnastics being one of those really rigorous sports it it just drew me to it gymnastics is unique from many sports in that there's the individual component but also the team component right that's unique (laughs) from like if you're on a football team 
obviously as an individual you have to perform your job but you're also surrounded at the same time right, right. people so um talk about a little bit about the individual performance and the team performance and how that played into business as yeah you, no it's a know. great question uh you know it you don't you don't get a do-over in gymnastics i think it's one thing so the preparedness aspect of gymnastics and knowing that you don't have you know the safety to back you up if you know, somebody runs around the outside and you miss the tackle as the cornerback. Um, it, it really kind of makes you know that you got to be prepared. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where you're on the center stage and as a CEO of a business, you're going to be on the center stage. But um, obviously, it's a huge team sport. And so we, we never really talked about the individual part of gymnastics. And it was always about, you know, we're going to do well if the team does well yeah. and everybody does their job. But yeah, as you said, you don't have any forgiveness out there. You know, if you messed up cause you're the only one on the floor, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely translated into business. And I feel like most gymnasts start at a very young age. Was that the case with you as well? Yeah. Well, I think my first gymnastics was like climbing out of my crib as a baby <laughs> and my parents watching TV downstairs and I'd just come crawling by and they're like, how the heck did you get down here, man? Like, but uh, yeah, it's led into, into, yeah, the 20 years of athletics. That's awesome. And, and you've kind of touched on just the similarities between athletic sports and in, right. in business as right. well. Um, any specific traits that you feel like you learned or developed with gymnastics, with sports that have now, you know, translated and helped you in business? You know, every, every single piece of athletics is translated well to business. I, I, I'm always a huge advocate of entrepreneurs being people that have done sports. Um, one thing that I will say that, uh, is always been a challenge is, uh, patience, right? And, uh, I was injured quite a few times doing gymnastics and, one time specifically tore my hamstring and, and was sitting out as the captain of the team watching the guys and trying to get back in there. And I think that's one thing that you got to understand is delayed gratification mm -hmm. and knowing that you're not going to be prepared unless you get yourself right. And in, in business, you know, you don't go and launch a business and all of a sudden overnight it's successful and you have to go through that adversity of trying to come back and knowing that, you know, you, some of it's out of your control. You can only control what you can control. And so I'd say that that, that level of just like learning patience and delayed gratification in that sport, um, taught me more than anything. For sure. I've got the flexibility of a tree truck, so I'm not talking about uh, experience from experience here, but watching the Olympics, right. um, I see that, you know, there's degrees of difficulty in gymnastics yeah. right. and, Gymnasts are rewarded for taking risks. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to make calculations like, right. is this risk worth taking right. on the grand stage, right. knowing that, you know, I may or may not, right. you know, do it to perfection. Yeah. Um, how has that mentality of gymnastics translated to business as you evaluate risk and reward? Uh, you know, that, and that's a phenomenal question. You know, it, and it's absolutely a consideration when you're doing gymnastics is the routine, routine design and what skills are you going to try to put in? Who, what's the field look like? Um, you know, for me, I was always a guy that was taking risks. Um, I uh, obviously prepared, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, some gymnasts, want to take, you know, a much more kind of basic approach and have, you know, there's different guys in the lineup. Some guys are there to, you know, set up with a couple of good scores. And then you've got the guys at the later part of the lineup that are there to throw some big tricks and really pick up big scores. And, 
in business, you know, it's, it's hard because yeah, there's things that you have to evaluate. Is this risk going to, what is that reward going to generate? And what is the downfall if it doesn't work out Mm -hmm. and constantly evaluating in business, it happens even faster. You know, you think about gymnastics, I got time to go to a competition and evaluate how I feel that day and open warm up and try a couple skills. And if it feels right, I can do it in business. You got to make decisions so quickly that it's almost like a dry run for business world where, you know, things happen every day and you've got to respond. And, um, yeah, I think it, it, that, that, that component of gymnastics definitely is, uh, got some, uh, some comparisons of business for sure. And I love what you mentioned about the aspect of delayed gratification because right. there's just no way around it. The practicing, the training, the hard stuff you have to do. Yeah. No, no one gets into gymna- gymnastics or, or any sport to, to practice all day. We do yeah. it for you know the reward at the end, the actual Absolutely. event. And it's same with business. We don't get yeah. into business to you know work. 80 hours a week yeah. uh, to deal with billing and, and, and chasing down payments yeah. and employees and all this stuff. But it's, it's You don't get into it for that? <laughs> I mean, not me personally. But, but did that make it easier going through that already with gymnastics and kind of seeing a bigger picture and understanding that there is going to be a process right. that you're not going to see you know, success right away with a business? You know, it, it, it's one of those things you bring up a good point. It's like, you know, I, I learned that delayed gratification, but I didn't walk into entrepreneurship going, oh, it's going to be delayed gratification for me. <laughs> I mean, you know, especially as a young guy coming out of college and saying, I'm going to start a business now. Why not? Um, You learn some of those things the hard way and you learn them by going, oh, this isn't just easy. People don't just want to give me money because Mm -hmm. I have a business. Um, And so I think that it can sports can prepare you only so much. You get out in the real world and you realize that, you know it takes a lot of time and you're, you're familiar with that feeling, yeah. right? But uh, I think for most of the younger entrepreneurs out there, you got to kind of get punched in the face a few times by life and understand that, you know, it's not going to go the way that the playbook says it's going to go every sure. time. And uh, yeah, it gives you that, that wherewithal to be able to continue to respond to adversity because it's kind of ingratiated in you as an athlete. But uh, yeah, I don't think anything can really prepare you for jumping into a business other than doing it right and that's a really good point because if you go to school and see the roadmap or you listen to you know some of these gurus or see on social media you think it's just you know i do this and then i'm gonna see those three things it's there yeah exactly and so although the the sports aspect helped you once it actually happened you don't know really how hard it's going to be until like you said you jump into it and do it yourself one and you know i realize now that you know great businesses make pivots they have flexibility and you know, sometimes that thing that you thought was going to be the really great moneymaker, the great piece of the business, turns out that maybe it's not. And so being able to, you know, have that uh, ability to kind of pivot and make moves on the fly, I think is important. And in athletics, I mean, you're never, you know, you're never going to feel 100% every game. And, you know, sometimes you got to go ice your shoulder before the meet or whatever it is. But like, being able to be flexible and know that, you know, it's not going to be straight up exactly how you thought it was going to be is another key piece of, yeah, being in business. And you really got to be flexible to be a genius. <laughs> yeah, and that, that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so you mentioned coming out of college, you were wanting to start a business. Was that the plan going into college as well? When did you, you know, come to the decision that yeah. you were going to get into the business? Well, I mean, I watched, I watched my dad go from uh, like – doing syrup in the Coke machines at restaurants to being the, you know, uh, president of like international sales. And so like 
climbed the chart big time. And I, I grew up watching that. But then I watched him retire from Coca-Cola company and start his own business from scratch and go and door knock and, you know, build another business. And, um, you know, so I got to see both sides of it. And I, I always ask myself, you know, if he is going after entrepreneurship after having this great career, you know, it seems like that was really what was fulfilling to him at the end of the day. And so I looked at that and learned a lesson of, you know, maybe I want to try this now and not go through an entire corporate career to then figure out maybe I want to try something on my own. And so that, that's what kind of led me into entrepreneurship. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that going into college, I was like, I'm going to start a business. It's right. just kind of who I am. I see a problem. I'm faced with a problem. I want to try to solve it. You yeah. Know? And so what did you go to school for then? I was in marketing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what, what was the problem that you started to see that kind of, you know, sparked that idea of, okay, I do want to yeah. take this ride. I do want to start a business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a big problem, an ambitious problem to solve uh, in that, you know, I moved across the country. So I had, you know, a lot of friends back in Georgia. I had family spread across the United States. And, uh, you know, I was like, it sucks not being able to stay in touch with them. And how am I going to remember to stay in touch with people um, and continue to have like genuine relationships that don't fade away? I mean, people talk about, oh, your high school friends aren't going to be your friends anymore. Or your college friends aren't going to be your friends anymore, or whatever it may be. And so it kind of led me down this path of what can I do to try to continue to maintain the relationships that I have and find new ones and tap into, you know, cool people that are doing cool things that I want to be in, a part of. And so um, that kind of led me down this path of, you know, seeing what Facebook did with connecting people, but knowing that there was still a level that was missing from Facebook even. And that's kind of led to now social cycle is it, it all stemmed from that need to try to stay in touch with my teammates and my friends and my family in a, in a way that uh, I wasn't really doing after my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. So are you a big user personally of, of social media in general, Facebook, Instagram, or did, were you generally using that on a regular basis or not so much? Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, there's so many great things that come from social, but mm-hmm. we realized that an algorithm was dictating what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Your, your algorithm is deciding that you're going to spend, you know, two hours being shown things that are out of your control. And I went, you know, the baseline of social media was to connect people. And it turned into kind of this mindless scroll game of how many minutes can I keep you on the app so I can show you some more ads so I can make some more money. And um, I don't think that that business model really resonates with what I was trying to do, which was stay connected with people. And, you know, sometimes you see a picture of a, a baby or something and it's like, okay, I'm glad that I was scrolling for that. But part of it was I want to intentionally, you know, keep the relationships and form new relationships and while social media platforms are a mechanism to give you the ability to have a digital persona, it takes your intention behind it to say, I'm going to go reach out to that person. I'm going to follow up with that person. And um, Social Cycle essentially is a map that allows all of your social media connections uh, to be kind of created into a workflow where you're able to actually connect with people intentionally and set up those you know, flows of who do I want to talk to, whether it's in sales, whether it's relationships that you have. And Um, you know, I've hired every person we've hired off of social media and connecting with them there. You know, a lot of my best customers came off of social media and connecting with them there. A lot of the people that are my mentors came from social media and connecting with them there. And so, um, it falls flat if you don't put intention behind a connection Mm -hmm. and continue to stay in front of that person and 
continue to make a dialogue happen. So that's that's kind of what led me down the path of social cycle. Yeah, that's super interesting. So I want to kind of dive a bit more into that. And, yeah. and so what does that look like? So it's yeah. it's combining and connecting all these social media platforms into one way to, to reach out to people. Obviously, there's no visuals here, but if you could kind of like yeah. visualize for us, you know, what that looks like. Right. Well, we call it a three-step process. You know, uh, it, you build, you create cycles, and then you do your workflow. And so the build piece is that we have a search engine that is compatible with Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn, where you're able to source connections or source people by um, actual keywords that are found in their page. So uh, I type in business development manager, or whatever it may be. If that's showing up on a person's page, we're able to source those results based on how recently they've been using social media and how active they are in social media. And we kind of queue up, here's some relevant people based on your query. Um, you can also upload a CSV if you have contacts that you're kind of manually putting together in a spreadsheet or something like that. But that's your first step. The second step is to create a cadence of engagement or a campaign as we call it. And uh, that campaign involves cycles, uh, this hence social cycles. So you have different cycles of engagement from, you know, connecting and liking a post to commenting to DMing the person. Um, and then finally, once you've kind of curated, what are you going to do with people that make it into that campaign, whether it's staying in touch or podcast guest campaign, whatever it may be, that final step is the workflow. And so we queue a workflow for you where it's feeding you the things that you have preset that you're going to do with certain people. And so you're able to kind of just go through that on a day-to-day -day basis and connect with the right people intentionally and um, get on with your day. Uh, but uh, that's kind of the three-step process. So it sounds like there's a lot that goes into that. And so you went to school for marketing. How did right. you, you know, come up with, with the bones of this, this software yeah. company? From yeah. Your marketing I mean, degree? It, a lot of iterations, right? I mean, I, I went, my first, uh, my first business was an Instagram growth agency, actually. And okay. so um, it was helping people to grow their followers, grow their engagement rate on their posts. And mm -hmm. um, while that was going great, we were kind of leveraging other softwares to make that happen. And uh, in July 2019, a lot of the algorithms started switching up. A lot of the social media companies started standing up and going, you know, we don't think that it's good for our platform to be automating connections and automating comments and things of that nature. And we saw it happen with the election. And so they really pulled back and went, this is not a, a game of like numbers of how much can we automate and how many people can we pretend to, you know, connect with. And uh, we took that as something where most companies that were in that space and that growth space went, sayonara, I can't press a button and, you know, automate all this, I'm out. Uh, we went, you know, there's got to be a better way. And, uh, you know, there's a problem to be solved here. And uh, from, yeah, 2019, when we pivoted into actually building our own software to now, um, you know, a lot's happened. And I'm glad that I was naive going into that because it is a heck of a thing to do to try to build a software um, especially as a non-technical founder, somebody right. that does marketing. Um, but, you know, you learn a lot along the road and that's kind of what led me to this point now. Right. Give us a little insight into what that's like because we interview right. a lot of, you know, service-based companies or, right. or restaurants. And so we, we hear a lot about, you know, the structure of those companies yeah, and, and how they're formed, how they start, yeah. um, but not as much on the software side. So if you don't mind, yeah. you know, diving into that a bit, what, what are some of the steps that you have to take to, to start a software? Right. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it's tough. You know, my first step was I got to find somebody smarter than me. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh yeah, so I mean, of course, use social media to find that person and uh, and found a couple more people. And um, 
now have three software engineers and um, you know that piece took a lot um, I knew marketing but I didn't know much about project management and I think that's another component where there's a there's a there's a dichotomy between how marketers talk and how business development talks and then how engineers talk and you know while we're both aligned and trying to kind of create vector alignment towards this end goal there's a lot that has to be bridged between the two and so it's that was the hardest part i think for me was learning what does good code look like how do i translate you know something that a user wants into something that's actually built in our product how can we forecast how long that's going to take how difficult that's going to be um but you know at the end of the day despite all of the difficulties of building software and building teams um i think that the best part about software is that the margin uh i don't have to sell something and then fulfill on something simultaneous Um, and when you're in a small team it's not scalable and you end up having to manage customer relations, do the work yourself. You're trying to find people to do the work and that takes money. You got to go find more clients and then you got more people to manage. It's, it's this dangerous game of always being on the fringe of hire one more person to get rid of one more job, to go and do one more thing yourself. And with software, it's scalable. Um, we're able to sell people on software a clip of 50, 100, 200 people at a time where I don't have to go and fulfill on something specific for every one of them. Obviously, there's different ways to, you know, communicate with your users to build better and better products and better and better software. But I like doing that more than I like being in this busy loop of trying to just get one more. Um, But yeah, that's why we love software. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You could get 500 customers overnight and you're not scrambling to fulfill or to hire to meet those Got to go make 500 hot dogs because 500 <laughs> right. people came to my store. Right, you know, the yeah. software already has everything intact in for that. Right. Did you kind of just stumble upon that once you got into this or was that kind of a specific reason that you wanted to take take the software The out? business model is attractive to yeah. us. I mean, uh, generally a good software business is going to be between 80 and 90% margins. And so, you know, you have... of your money that's being paid in to cover the cost of keeping the software running. But that margin is, is so much farther and wide better than what we're seeing in the services based uh, industry. And so we just looked at this and went, you know, this is a problem that more than we have, we know that a lot of people can, you know, benefit from this. And, you know, we just had to make a leap and go, you know, let's sacrifice, you know, I I mean, I had to text or email all of our customers. I have 200 50 plus customers that we were managing Instagrams for and say, we're done. Um, we're going to build the software and uh, I'm not going to take any more of your money until we build this. And uh, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because, you know, as an entrepreneur that's trying to make it, I don't have, you know, people out here that I know. I don't have like a big base of money that I can be burning. I don't have investors because I don't want somebody else calling my shots. And so because of that, I have to find ways to be resourceful and it was tough, but, uh, you know, we've made it through some of the weeds and (laughs) I I give a lot of that credit to gymnastics and just, (laughs) you know, the wherewithal it takes to, to get through to the other side, but here we are. So you took a pretty big risk there, pretty much stopping what you had going and, and completely pivoting somewhere else. Um, yeah. Was there something that, I guess, reassured you that, that this would work out? You mentioned that you knew you had this problem 
Um, how did you know that other people had this problem? Did you do any sort of market research or did you just have this gut feeling yeah. that, that other people were experiencing the same thing as you, right. that you were confident enough to stop what you had, to stop a good thing going and, and completely pivot to something else? No, that's a great question. I mean, you know, it, it, part of it is uh, you've got to have instincts as an entrepreneur and know when, when the time is time and, and uh, be able to make decisive decisions that maybe don't, you know, resonate with everyone in the organization, which this didn't. Um, my first, my first thing was looking at our clients that we were serving and talking with them, interviewing them, asking them, you know, what is, what are you really trying to do here? You know, cause we're in the Instagram growth business. So it's like, yeah, you're getting followers. Yeah. You're getting engagement. What are you trying to do though? Are you trying to, you know, sell more of your product? Are you trying to drive foot traffic to your business? Like, are you trying to just look cool? Like, and we realized that despite having followers, having engagement, the thing people want is to drive revenue off of their social media if they're in business. And if they're an influencer, they want to drive revenue off of, you know, the, the businesses they want to partner with. And so we kind of took that as, well, you know, a better way to drive revenue is you know, finding people online that are either partners or affiliates or, you know, people that can be impactful to your business. Um, and you can't really automate that. You've got to have a mechanism to source the people that are going to be impactful to you. And you've got to be able to, you know, have a cadence of engagement that isn't super transactional, like, Hey, buy my thing, you know? And, and I think that those insights that we pulled out of the interviews we had customers was what gave me the most confidence. I mean, you know, like I said, you got to kind of just uh, jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that, that that's what gave us the confidence to go, you know, this is, this is uh, not a bad place to, to pivot into. That's awesome. And, and I wanted to touch on a couple of things that you had said, actually, yeah. with, with social media and, and growing these, these companies' websites and, and helping them with engagement. Right. How important is it then to have you know, followers and have engagement? Because I see the argument for both sides where if someone you know, sees you on Instagram, you only have 100 followers, they might not be interested. But at the same time, who cares if you only have 100 followers if you're getting a ton of revenue coming in on a regular right. basis. So right. I guess, where do you find that balance? Because some people probably do spend too much time right. focusing on how many followers am I getting? How many likes did I get? Yeah. Um, is there any importance? Is there a little bit? What, what's kind of your take on, on yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, you got to set yourself up from a perceptual level to be taken seriously. And you know, the sad truth of the matter is that in our society, people are equating followers, engagement, things like that right. to how successful you are or how capable you are. And so, you know, I never say that it's bad to have followers and have a community, but nowadays, how are you going to build that community? Are you going to, you know, pour money into advertising and kind of transact money for followers? Is that going to then get you what you're trying to accomplish? Oftentimes the answer is no. Um, you know, the other piece is content isn't enough even anymore. You know, you have this algorithm that's dictating who is seeing your content in your own audience. I mean, hashtags are so blown out. There's hundreds of millions of posts going up every day. So to expect to rank in a hashtag and be discovered there is not realistic anymore um, because of how saturated everything is. So I look at it and go, you got to set yourself up with a perceptual brand so that, you know, you're taken seriously and it's not just a silhouette profile picture and, you know, a, ma a faceless person with five followers, right? Yeah. Like you got to show I'm engaged here. I, I post content every once in a while. I've got some content there, but outside of that, it's like, you know, 
if you want an outcome, how are you going to generate that outcome? And if, if you're so focused on, I'm, I need to get followers, like, again, what's the outcome that that's going to get for you? And if yeah. followers is going to be directly related to an outcome of, oh, I can go work at this modeling agency because I have 10,000 followers, like, okay, fine. But if it's, you know, I need to do a brand deal as an influencer, well, why aren't you reaching out to, you know, the brands directly and saying, here's what I have to offer? Um, you know, so that, that's kind of how we look at it. You got to have a little bit of that, but we look at it as engagement is, is that kind of piece that is not scalable and it's, it's almost necessary in order to generate an outcome on social media. Do you find yourself spending more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it? Then you need to get in touch with Flamingo Pools. Flamingo Pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green to cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools is there to take care of you. Here's a few things that makes Flamingo Pools stand out from the crowd. When you first sign up for service, they'll give you a free complimentary inspection of the pool to make sure everything is running smoothly. They'll also email you a service report with a picture attached after every visit so you know when your pool has been cleaned. They also offer a mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and get your first month of weekly maintenance free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. So with engagement and, and followers and even content being not as important as people might think, what should people be focusing on? I'm assuming that the answer has something to do with social cycle and what you guys are working on. <laughs> yeah, you know, I try not to be that transactional with it. I mean, I think it, it starts with finding a platform that has the people that you want to be connecting with. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you know, trying to be on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all simultaneously and create content and put it all through your Hootsuite or whatever it is. Like, I understand you're giving yourself an opportunity to be there, but um, as, as a person that's running a business or as a person that has a side hustle or whatever it may be, something like what you're doing, um, finding a platform that has the people that you're looking to connect with I think is a, a big component of this and spending a meaningful amount of time there rather than just trying to check the box on, you know, five, seven, ten platforms. I mean, it, you end up spending so much less time and it ends up starting to be equated to very transactional, you know, things that you're trying to accomplish there because you don't have time, right? You know, spend five, seven minutes on each platform, then you're not going to get anything meaningful out of it. And so finding that platform that's right for you and the end customer that you're trying to serve, I think is one really critical piece. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, outside of that, I think, like I said, building a perceptual brand, have a profile picture, have a good bio that describes who you are, what you do, why somebody should care, having some content that you're posting on a semi-regular basis. Doesn't have to be five times a day like Gary Vee. <laughs> But it does have to be, you know, more than once every five years. Right. Um, and, and, you know, from there, then, yeah, I, use social cycle, don't use social cycle. I see so many people that use a spreadsheet. It takes a lot longer than using social cycle to manually color code when somebody answers you or whatever it is. But um, at the end of the day, it's it, to us, it's really about, you know, finding ways to set yourself up for success. And it takes a little bit of everything from content to perceptual brand building to you know, doing the hard work, which is the outward engagement to kind of generate a buzz back towards your page. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So it sounds like what you're saying is that there's some social media platforms that are better for certain businesses and that you shouldn't, you know, totally. try to spread yourself thin on all of them, but instead try to hone in on what's going to be best for you. Totally. How do you know, are there, are there certain industries that, oh, you're going to go on this or how do you figure out which uh, social media platform is going to be best and most beneficial for your business? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And it, it's a, a question that's ever changing as platforms like TikTok take off and start to grab market share of, you know, the 18 to 20 year olds are now over there and not like, so you got to keep up with the trends a little bit. But um, in my experience, you know, LinkedIn is a great place for B2B selling. It's a great place for B2B connections. Um, Twitter is a great place for B2B connections as well. Um, If you're looking for more B2C connections um, and actual consumers, influencers, people of that stature, um, looking at places like Instagram and like Facebook, that's just generalization. I think from an industry perspective, some platforms are more visually stimulating and you know, places like real estate where it's a visual thing, yeah. it's gonna be on a place that has a visual component and that's usually not you know, LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that trying to kind of decipher what your industry, what your demographic looks like, it starts to become pretty obvious the places that you wanna play ball. Mm-hmm. And then how about the social cycle? Is is there a specific, just to get an idea, an example, is there a specific, you know, uh, platform that you guys focus on? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is really where we're most focused right now. Just uh, the B2B selling has been something that is very popular on LinkedIn. And I think that people realize now that doing LinkedIn outreach should be a part of your sales process, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's connecting with somebody to start the dialogue or warming up a existing lead by, you know, showing some interest in their page. Um, so really, that's where we're honing in right now. But um, Twitter and Instagram are, are other platforms that we are also focused on and helping people to, you know, just continue to find ways to use their time intentionally and get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And you just brought up TikTok, more of a newer platform. Right. Um, are you guys, you know, intentionally staying away from that or is it just because it's newer and you haven't had a chance to kind of bring that into what you're doing yet? You know, I think uh, for TikTok, uh, a variety of reasons, you know, obviously in the B2B selling game, you're probably not going to be wanting <laughs> to DM 16 year olds, you know, but uh, I think that the, the other thing too with TikTok is that it, it is more of a place right now where people are consuming content um, at a higher clip than maybe... Uh, other places like LinkedIn, where it's more impactful to be getting engagement on your posts or getting you know reached out to via DM. Um, a place like TikTok is is not as B two B centric. A and then B is not as focused on engagement compared to the content right now. So walk us through an example, if you don't mind, of, yeah. of a business um, who wants to use the social cycle. What, what's it look like for them? You know, what's the process they're going to go through and what are some of the results right. that they're, they're going to see from it? Yeah, I mean, like, let's take you guys, for example. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're trying to find interesting guests to work with, right? You're trying to, you know, uh, start from you don't know who I am and I don't really know who you are to sitting in this chair doing what I'm doing. Um, what does it take to source those people, develop a relationship and turn that relationship into an action, like coming out here and and doing a podcast. Um, it starts with you're using social cycle. Cool. I want to make a campaign that is podcast generation, like guests on my podcast. And, uh, I'm going to focus on, you know, this one campaign is going to be for LinkedIn people. And this one's going to be for, you know, Instagram. And maybe you have two campaigns going and they're on different platforms. You use a search engine and type in different keywords, entrepreneur, Phoenix entrepreneur, Arizona entrepreneur, 
things like that. And I'll pull up queries of those people that are self, their self, they're saying, I'm this, um, add those people to a campaign, um, dictate what are your campaign going to be, you know, probably doesn't need to be a crazy amount of steps prior to saying, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? So maybe you go through a three to five step cadence of you connect with them, you engage on a post, you engage on another post a few days later, you give yourself a chance for that person to maybe land on your page and go, what is this all about? Um, get a feel for like who you are and you know, who you guys interviewing. Um, so that when you do finally ask them after, you know, you've commented and edified them on their content a few times saying, Hey, you're doing really cool stuff. Like that looks awesome. Now you say, Hey, you know, came across your page, really love what you got going on. Um, you send them a personalized message. And so like that, those, those steps in social cycle are going to be a connection and then, a you know, a, a like, and then a comment and then a comment and then a DM and you can even template, throw a template DM that you kind of personalize, but it could be something that you're sending to the guests and take the first line and change it up depending on who you're talking to. But you throw that template in there. I mean, it's just prompting you to go through and now you're arbitraging, you know, guests that you could be getting across multiple platforms. And I mean, when you're really intentionally reaching out and personalizing that stuff, then, you know, you could be going after bigger and bigger businesses. And, you know, if you can source, you know, the CEOs of these companies and find them on social, you don't have to have their email address to start a dialogue with them. If you're actually intentionally like taking steps as opposed to like, let me just, let me just come in high heat in the DMs right out the gate. You don't know who I am and just start asking you to do stuff for me. It's like that, that doesn't work. And, you know, I think people equate social media engagement into this very transactional like door knocking game and it's not that you know you can't you have to apply the same social cues that you have in this kind of conversation to a social media and that's not screaming on the side of the road saying buy my stuff until somebody does it so that's kind of how i would imagine that maybe you guys would go through yeah. using this I love how you've intentionally placed the social back into the anti-social media. <laughs> yeah, I like that you, you caught that. <laughs> so I love the process where you're not just going straight to the DMs and, and asking them for something. Right. Um, you're, you're reaching out, you're doing a couple touch points, they're getting to recognize you and know you before you, you do that. So they say, oh, you know, this person's engaged with me, they're, they're interested, or I, I recognize them from these posts that they've commented on or that they've posted. How do you make sure that you stay um, intentional with with those comments, with those likes, and that they um, really believe that you you know have interest in in them as a person or right. them as a company, and not just I'm just gonna check off the boxes and like three posts and comment on six <laughs> yeah. posts so that yeah. I can message you after. How do you yeah. make sure that they feel like you're being genuine about the things that totally. you say? Totally. I mean, there's a, there's a framework, and the biggest thing I'll say is it takes time. Yeah. You know, you have to know that it's going to take a little bit of time. And so, you know, finding the right people that you're willing to invest a little bit of time and having a relationship with is a first component. You know, if you, it's not a numbers game anymore. I wouldn't say, hey, Dallin, go put 500 people in your campaign for podcast guests because how long is it going to take you to intentionally engage with 500 people? A long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, be intentional about who you're going to talk to in the first place. But once you've found that kind of set of people, then you just got to know it's going to take time. The social cycle works in a way that, um, you know, we recommend you use it on your phone. And so you're tapping these different workflow cards and uh, it's taking you directly to these people's pages. Yeah. So it's not 
an automated thing that's happening, you're getting prompted to say, hey, you got a comment now. Click them. Now their page is up. Take a, take a second. Look at what they wrote. Read it. You know, Think of something that's meaningful. We like to say love your prospects. Leave unsolicited validation. Hmm. Everyone's posting to get validation in the form of engagement. And they're going to look on the people that are engaging on their post in a, in a different light. And so if you can leave unsolicited validation and do it in an intentional way, it can be quick hitting. I don't recommend you say great post with like a <laughs> smiley face, but you know, do something a little bit deeper than that. Right. But it's also about, you know, continuing to show up. So, yeah. you know, doing things like a profile visit to mm-hmm. give them a notification that you visited their page. Oftentimes, if you pair that with a comment and a like, the profile visit and the like take half a second, you leave a comment they're still seeing you three, four times in their notifications. They're going to know who you are by the time you reach out. For and it's sure. going to make it much higher chance that they respond and you know reciprocate what you've been doing to them, which is leaving that validation on yeah. their post. Yeah. yeah. And no, I, I totally agree when, you know, when someone does comment, I appreciate it because it does help with the engagement in the algorithm when someone leaves something meaningful, not just right. like a fire post with like right. the, the yeah. hundred emoji or whatever, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, it, it makes me feel like someone's actually engaging and, right. and they appreciate the things that we're posting. So, yeah. um, totally. on the other side of that, you can see how that would be effective. So do you guys, um, does social cycle do any of that commenting or any of those, those DMS and reaching out, or is it just reminders for, you know, the person to do it themselves? Yeah. So we are very sensitive to the terms of services across these different platforms, Mm -hmm. what is compliant and what is not. And oftentimes, not even oftentimes, every platform has completely nixed doing any kind of automated engagement. Gotcha. You can't do it. There's platforms out there, there's Chrome extensions that you can use and <laughs> LinkedIn and whatever else, and it's too good to be true. Yeah. Problem is that as a software business, if we're violating, intentionally violating those terms of service, it's gonna put us in hot water. Plus, we wanna play ball with these platforms. You know, we're not a replacement to social media. And these social platforms want engagement and conversations to be generated on the posts that are going out Mm -hmm. and so we try to find that symbiotic relationship with the platforms and our product and oftentimes we have to make concessions we can't always just say oh yeah we're just going to automate it because there's there's things that will backfire from that and you know the last thing i want is cease and desist from instagram (laughs) saying hey you can't do this anymore right Um, because then we're back to square one yeah you know it, it, it goes back to the learning in 2019 of the the, the algorithms changed. We realized we can't be reliant on somebody else's software to get a job done. We have mm-hmm. to have our own. And so if we're reliant on Instagram not shutting us down because we're violating the terms of service or abusing their API access, then you know it's going to put us in a bad spot. So yeah. that's kind of how we think about it. But right. with that being said, we're very sensitive to how fast you can get it done. So the, the mobile workflow is designed in a way where as long as you're logged into the different apps on your page that you're engaging on behalf of, that it's very instant that you click that workflow card, that person's page is right in front of you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we've approached it, at least to this point. For sure. No, that makes sense. Got to play the rules of the big boys, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes uh, you have to. <laughs> so do you guys have an app or I think I saw you guys are working on one right now? Working on an app. It is mobile friendly on your phone if okay. you just go and log in on your phone. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of what like the the searching component, the building the cadences component, those things happen inside of the the web app. So we gotcha. always recommend doing setting up your rules and adding your contacts on the desktop. Um, but once you've curated that workflow for yourself, then it's very easy to kind of just go through on your phone and get it done. But app is coming in 2022. Exciting. Uh, Q1, hopefully. Awesome. Uh, we're working on it right now. Sweet. Yeah. So you've mentioned we a few times. So I'm assuming you have a team. Um, tell us a bit about your team, um, what the structure of the business looks yeah. like, and, and how you've found people to, yeah. to connect and team up with. Well, I mean, they're they're all smarter than me, obviously. Uh, you know, I we have three engineers. Um with CTO, uh, his name's Scott, and uh, met him across LinkedIn, and uh, uh, we've kind of grown our relationship from that. Um, and then one of the other engineers, uh, Anthony, they're both based out in Delaware right now, um, and we're actually headquartered in, in Delaware for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, one of our other engineers, Seppi Day, is out here in Arizona, um, and then uh, my co-founder um, from my Instagram business, actually, um, Colin and I, um, run, he's the, the chief marketing officer. Okay. Um, I run a lot of the admin stuff and then, uh, a gentleman that helps on the sales business development side. Um, his name's Mohit. Um, and he is out in San Francisco, but, uh, again, I've, I've connected with pretty much everybody, um, via LinkedIn other than Colin, who I've known for years. And, um, I think Sepida, I actually ran into it, a uh, like a, was it the, the AZ co-work up here is a co-working oh, okay. space. So. <clears throat> nice. But yeah, I mean, it's a small group and, uh, you know, being that everybody is in different places around the country, everything is fully remote. We don't have an office. We, uh, we, our office is Google hangout meetings <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's been cool. I mean, you don't have that type of overhead. There's a lot of things you can save on that you For can sure. repurpose into other things. But yeah, like I said, most of the people we connected with over social and, uh, it's, I've been working with that entire team now for um, a little over a year and a half now. Yeah. So, so a lot more people are going remote lately um, with yeah. COVID. Um, and obviously you're in a different situation where if, if company in Gilbert's remote, they can all you know get together for lunch or something where you guys are all across yeah. the, the <laughs> nation. So yeah. how do you continue to, I guess, build culture and yeah. you know keep keep that teamwork aspect of things yeah. when everyone's so far apart? No, it's, a, it's a great question. And, you know, one thing we do is rely on tools like Slack to, you know, give us that kind of daily yeah. cadence of communication. Um, you know, we have a Trello is where our kind of hub is at. So any work that's being assigned, any forecastable work that's going to be assigned is all there. So anyone on the team can see what anyone else has in their queue and what they're working on at any moment. Um, but it is hard to find ways to build the culture. You don't build the culture through a Trello board, right? Right, right. Um, we did our first retreat um, with the full company, uh, I think about five months ago, and it, it was amazing. We got an Airbnb out here in Scottsdale. Everybody flew in. And, nice. Um, we spent uh, four days all just enjoying each other's company. We brought in a bunch of guest speakers, other entrepreneurs, and different areas that are out here. Um, and it was a great time just to be able to have some fellowship and spend time together. And, um, you know, I couldn't have recommended that more to anyone else that runs remote businesses, trying to find ways to still give yourself FaceTime. Um, everybody still talks about it. We're definitely going to do another one. And, uh, yeah, that's, 
that it's that type of stuff that I think is is what humanizes us, where it's not sure. just a screen with no face. You yeah, know? you can forget that your coworker is an actual person. Yeah, and just no, texting you, all day, you're right? absolutely right. Yeah. Well, you answered my question. I was going to ask if you would recommend it because I'm, I'm assuming you had to spend a good amount of money to fly everyone in, get oh, the yeah. Airbnb somewhere in Scottsdale, <laughs> have speakers come in. Um, but oh, it yeah. sounds like it was all worth that and more. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, it, it definitely was an expense and we had to kind of forecast it in our budget and it, it, it we pushed it back a few times. Uh-huh. You know, we've been talking about it since, <laughs> you know, a few months into it with everybody. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it, it was awesome to make it finally happen. And you know, it, there's something about working with people that are all really excited about a mission and you don't have to beg them to do a job. Um, they want to do a job and For they sure. want to bring something to life. And so, you know, if there was things that required them spending money, they would have spent money because everyone wants to be together. We work so hard on this. And I think that that culture piece, you have to have a mission, you have to have values as an organization. And um, I think that we try to do a good job and at least an intentional job of making those things um, so, as tangible as we can Yeah. Um, so that it doesn't just have to be a retreat that you can bring people together and have overlap. You know, we all resonate with those same values and, um, but yeah, it's, it's tough and it, it, I'm continuing to take advice from other entrepreneurs and watch from the sidelines of how other businesses do it. Cause I, it's inevitable that it's going to continue to become more and more remote first culture. And so, it's fine in those ways. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, finding people that love the job they do and you're not like begging or forcing them to do a specific right. task and they actually enjoy it. Right. Did you just get lucky and stumble upon those people or, <laughs> or are there certain um, criteria that you make sure people meet or certain right. questions you ask people when you're going to hire to make sure that, Hey, they're really passionate about this. I don't have to no, worry about yeah. them wanting to do this specific task. Uh, it, great question. Um, one thing is, you know, there's definitely been some people that have come and gone and, uh, you know, you're not, everybody's not going to be a perfect fit. Um, the other thing is that I don't believe in being an entrepreneur or CEO that is so obsessed with like, I have to own a hundred percent of the company. Um, I, I don't own even close to a hundred percent of the company because I want people to feel like they have a piece of it. Hmm. And so, you know, we came together as a founding board and, and we're very intentional about, how are we going to split equity and how are we going to set equity aside so that there's incentives so that we can use equity as, you know, our fundraising tactic. We can't throw money at people, but we can throw a little bit of equity at people and uh, find creative ways to vest that equity over time so that they have to earn their keep by being a part of the company. Mm-hmm. You can't just sign a deal and now I own, you know, X amount of shares of the business and that's cool and now I can just go tomorrow and not do anything. Um, so, I mean, we've used that very creatively to help, uh, people to kind of motivate people to say, Hey, this is, this is just as much yours. And you have a component, you have a piece of the upside of this being done at a bigger scale. That that's been something that I cannot recommend more for founders, because I think the thing that people real doesn't realize is you have to sell the business in order for that equity to even matter. And, you know, yeah, maybe we have an exit strategy that's five years down the road or whatever it is, but it's not contingent on how much money you make to how much equity you have. And so I think that entrepreneurs are so quick to be like, let me just take this whole pie. And 
you don't even think about, you know, what is that exit strategy? What is, what is the outcome you're looking for on the back end? And how can you creatively use that ownership to find those people that are going to stick with you for the long haul and, mm-hmm. and go through it with you and, and not complain about it? You know? Yeah. No, yeah. There's a lot of people that are hesitant to give out equity and, and you know, lose that part of the, the pie when it does sell or if it does sell. Right. Um, but from everyone that I've talked to that does do it, and it sounds like you're in a similar situation, the amount that you give out and, and the amount that that makes people want to work more and feel right. like they're a part of it is going to make your 60 or 80% way more than what it would have been if you had the 100%. And it and took it, me a long time to realize that, yeah. you know, and it takes, it, but you know, it, it's, and like I said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, Hey, go hand and out. You get 5%, <laughs> you get five. Like, right. That's not how you do it. But you know, when we set up our corporation in a way where we knew here's how many shares we've got, and here's how we can put agreements together. Like I said, vested over, you know, four years. We put cliffs on it too. So, I mean, you got to work with us for a year to even get any equity. Yeah. And then you, over the next four years, you're getting a, per, a portion of the equity that you've signed for. At that point, it's something that, I mean, that's standard in business now, but it took a long time to realize that, oh, you can do it in a way that's not like uh, irresponsible, mm-hmm. you know, but is also going to be in your best interest as a business, yeah. you know, to help motivate and build the culture, build the excitement of For the sure. employees. Yeah. Can you talk to like an accountant or a lawyer or is there someone good that people could reach out to to talk out and figure out, you know, how I can, can set up a plan like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had to do a lot of kind of self-education um, to figure out some of these tactics mm-hmm. and, you know, best practices everything from going to things like startup week and listening to, you know, these different presentations on, you know, startup culture. I mean, yeah. I, I honestly give so much back to uh, startup week over, you know, I think from 2017 through 2019, those three years going to that event that taught me so much. Um, YouTube taught me so much. Um, I, I would recommend going to, you know, a, a legal counsel when you're really ready to set it up to make sure everything's bulletproof. Yeah. But again, as an entrepreneur, you got to be resourceful. And sometimes going to an accountant and a, a lawyer is uh, pretty much like your whole budget. And so uh, you got to find ways to be resourceful and be smart. And I mean, I'll recommend any entrepreneurs that are listening, like the Legal Shield is something that has been an amazing tool. Um, 35 bucks a month. You can submit up to 10 page documents for lawyers to review. Um, and that's covered as a part of your subscription. Oh, wow. So it's like things like that where it's like I could go talk to a lawyer for an hour for $400 or I could pay for this thing for two months and get, you know, 20 different agreements read. Like you just got to find the places where you can get the most value out of your dollar. And um, yeah, if you're resourceful enough, there's plenty of things out there that will help. For sure. Thanks for that advice. Yeah, of course. Um, want to touch on marketing real quick before we yeah. close up. Yeah. How big um, of a part of your strategy is marketing to try to you know have people find out about you and hear about you right. and, and, and use your software? And, right. and is your marketing degree um, a big part of that? Or was there not a lot yeah. that you learned from that that is translated <laughs> to what you're doing now? Well, you got that ASU piece of paper, dude. You know, I, uh, I, I, uh, I think that the value that college gave me more than anything was my connections and you know the network that i built because i wasn't from here and mm-hmm. so that network that i built became extremely valuable to my success um as it relates to you know marketing strategy for social cycle one thing that has been a salty taste in my mouth was i couldn't just come out day one 
you know, serving advertisements on Facebook to drive this thing. You have to build it. And yeah. so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, project management became a much bigger part of my repertoire than marketing for, you know, the first year and a half of the business. It was really about, we have to build something and it, it's hard because you can't just build something that people are going to buy overnight. Um, that delayed gratification has come in, but now that we're kind of on the other side and have a product that people are actually paying for and using, we're realizing, okay, now we can start to kind of, you know, push the marketing a little more. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing that we do from a marketing standpoint is use our own product, you know, and uh, our strategy is less about selling people one-to-one, -one, $29 a month for, you know, every single user we get. It's more about finding those partnerships and, uh, you know, we, we've been fortunate to work with some great um, LinkedIn consultants and sales coaches and social media coaches that have audiences that need what we provide. And when we're able to kind of help them through the social cycle journey and embed their curriculum and what they preach from an engagement perspective yeah. into an actual product and not just a spreadsheet or mm -hmm. something like that, then it gives them the ability to sell it for us to their audience. And so that affiliate strategy has really paid off for us where we're not, we're able to sell one person that can then sell thousands of people rather than, you know, transacting one at a time to grow the base. Um, but yeah, I mean, marketing is, is going to continue to be huge because we're a digital business. You right. know, you have to create that perception digitally. And the only way to do that is through marketing. Um, so, you know, we're continuing to find ways to advertise better and find ways to set ourselves up from an SEO perspective. Um, but yeah, it's hard. You know, you talk to a lot of people that go and do, uh, you know, a degree that they don't end up using. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that uh, college is really about, you know, committing to something for four years and, and, you know, being consistent in your pursuit of getting a goal accomplished. And um, I think that teaches you a lot yeah. in and of itself, but um, yeah, marketing is changing so quickly that you know the things we were talking about in 2017, even when I was a senior, that some of it's just completely not even. A yeah, it's irrelevant now. Yeah, so it moves so quick that you learn the principles, but the practice of it is you know something that you got to stay on top of day over day. Gotcha, makes yeah. sense. So what does the future for Social Cycle look like? What's the you know five or ten year plan if yeah. if you have one? Yeah, yeah, no, we talk about it a lot, and uh, you know I think that I picked it up from Jeff Bezos and Clayton Mask, a guy that's big out here. Um, you got to have a ten year plan. You got to know where that Mars mission is going to be, um, because you know I think the quote that Bezos talks about is people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in ten years. And for us, it's like you know. I was naive. I thought in a year we'd have paying customers and we'd have the software built and it'd be smooth sailing. And that wasn't the case. But now we're looking at it going, you know, in 10 years, I think we can really do something impactful. Yeah. And we, uh, our big thing is, you know, being the, being the platform for people where they can source and maintain and, and build relationships that they otherwise would not have a possibility of doing. And you hear about the metaverse and all these things now and remote work we're there's more and more of a divide every day and more and more of your identity is on social media is on the internet and so we think that what we're helping people to do with social cycle is going to continue to be more and more relevant and valuable in the long term because this this kind of 
technology and where it's going is going to lead us into a, a digital version of ourselves. And so um, the 10 year plan is to, you know, help over a million people to stay in touch with, you know, who they're trying to be a part of uh, in terms of relationships. Awesome. Love that. I'm super excited to see the, the process and the journey of the social yeah. cycle and, and how you grow and help people to stay connected and, and stay social in a world where social media sometimes <laughs> does the opposite yeah. to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an oxymoron. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah. No, I love that. Awesome. Well, before we get closing up, Chaz, we have a quick game that we're going to play with you. Um, so how it works is we've got a list of 20 questions here that we're going to ask, okay. and you've got a minute to answer as many of them as possible. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and start in three, two, one. What's your dream vacation? Uh, Hawaii. Uh, first thing you'd buy if you won a million dollars? More engineering talent. Favorite hobby? Uh, basketball. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Um, making waffles. <laughs> a song you've been jamming to lately. Uh, my boy, Mac Miller. Um, anything by Mac Miller. Okay. Uh, if you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? <sighs> I'll take the body. I, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, favorite holiday? Uh, Halloween. Favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate chip cookie dough. Favorite fictional character? Uh, Superman. Favorite smell? Um, gasoline. What's your nickname? <laughs> Chaz is actually my nickname. Okay, pet peeve. Um, sleeping in on accident. Favorite restaurant? <laughs> uh, we'll let you answer it anyways. What's my favorite restaurant, dude? Uh, I like this. Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A, classic. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm from the town where Chick Fil A was created. Really? So, uh, yeah, I've got to, I've got to represent. <laughs> Are there quite a few locations back there? Every block, dude. No Every way. Every block. Yeah. <laughs> they well, finally figured it out in Arizona yeah, how to make, the, how to make it good. All, yeah. 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 That's awesome. <laughs> hey, man, well, I've really loved having you on today. Um, dude, learned, thanks for having me. Learned a lot and super excited to, to look into the social cycle. And I'm sure our, our listeners are too. So why don't you let them know where they can uh, connect with you, find out more about you yeah. in the social yeah, cycle. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on social media. You can find me, Chaz Vandemotter. Uh, C-H-A-Z-V-A-N-D-E-M-O-T-T-E-R. I've spelled that a million times. <laughs> um, yeah, find me anywhere on social. Uh, the website is socialcycle.io. Um, so if you type in .com, you're not going to find us. Um, but yeah, try it out. We have free trial for 30 days. Um, see if you like the product and um, reach out to me if there's anything I can do to support any anybody listening and love what you guys have going on. Uh, a lot of the people you've interviewed, I've, I've met and I'm um, friends with, so I think you guys oh, are doing nice. an amazing job. And uh, yeah, thank you for bringing me on today. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, it. For sure. um, and then as we close, let our listeners know about the special offer that you have. For yeah, them. yeah. So um, if you reach out to me via social media, I'll extend your trial another 30 days. You get 60 days out of it. Um, but um, yeah, try us out for 30 days. We don't ask a credit card, so you forget about it and then get charged and then have to refund. Like... We just want you to try it and see if uh, it's something that can be valuable to you. But uh, socialcycle.io. Awesome. Thanks, Chaz. I loved having you on today. Thanks. We'll catch you all later. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates.
Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing and helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.